Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews in chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 10. I am looking forward to this series. The reason why is the book of Hebrews is my favorite book. I love the book of Hebrews. Partly because I'm an Old Testament preacher. What do I mean by that? I love the stories of the Old Testament. I love how the Old Testament points towards God. And what the book of Hebrews does is it gives the interpretation of the Old Testament through the filter of Jesus Christ. Through the light of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is shown all throughout the Old Testament. And it is made to light. Shown to made evidence. Look Jesus was there the whole time. In the book of Hebrews. And I have never had the opportunity to preach through the book of Hebrews. So this is something I'm looking forward to. So hopefully you get to enjoy it just as much as I do. But I love this book and it is going to be great. Now what we're going to do tonight is we're going to introduce this book. We're going to go through it and just kind of explain this book. So that way we can get a taste. So we can see what we're going to be in for. See some of the things that we're going to explore through the book of Hebrews. And as we find our way to the book of Hebrews, I want you to turn with me to chapter 10. Hebrews and chapter number 10. And from here, we're going to use this as a starting point to give the big idea of the book of Hebrews and then kind of give a quick overview, which we're going to take our time and walk through in the next couple weeks. So as for now, take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, and notice with me starting at verse 16. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and in verse number 16, the word of God says this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of, of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day 
approaching. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10? The book of Hebrews chapter number 10, and notice with me in verse number 20 where it describes Jesus Christ, a new and living way. A new and and living way. And again, throughout the book of Hebrews, we're looking at Jesus Christ and we see him as the new and living way. The new and living way. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for the great privilege it is to stand and open up this wonderful book of the Bible. And I'm asking that you would give us grace through this whole series and even starting tonight that we can see who Jesus Christ is. That we could see how you describe him. To see that he is better. He is the new and living way. And because of that, it would affect our life. That as we acknowledge who you are, it would affect how we live. I'm asking again that you would just work in everybody's life. I know there's a lot of things going on in personal lives in our country. There's a lot of things that are being distracted. But I'm asking that for now you would help us to set those things aside. Even me that my heart, my mind, my body would be yours to be used and that we could just concentrate on you tonight through your precious word. That you would give us a spirit of wakefulness. You would give us a spirit of anticipation. You would help us to examine and look forward to what you're going to be teaching us. And maybe something that we didn't even know before. I'm asking that you would help us now. Fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews begins a section that we find in the Bible called the Hebrew Christian Church Epistles. Now, some of you may or may not know that the Bible is divided into natural sections. Of course, we've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament, but the entire Bible is divided up into natural logical sections. For example, we start with the first five books of the Bible. We would have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These are the first five books that are called the books of the law or the books of Moses. So the first five books, the Pentateuch as it is called, are the first five books of the Bible. After that, we are followed by 12 books of history, going from Joshua all the way up to the book of Esther. We have 12 books of history. The 12 books of history are followed by five books of poetry that deal with the hard issues of man. Psalms and Proverbs are part of them. After that, we have five major prophets, which is followed by 12 minor prophets. The Old Testament's easy to keep in track because it's 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. And so you can remember that, 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. So five books of uh, law, then 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five books of major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Then as we come into the New Testament, we also have the New Testament that is a natural division. You start off with the four gospel records, the four gospel records. If you put the books of Acts with it, then we could call it the five um, historical books of the New Testament, five books of history. Then after that, starting in the book of Romans, you would have a section called the Christian church epistles. The Christian church epistles. What these are, are these are letters written to churches to help correct them, to help encourage them, to help instruct them about what a church should be like. After that, we have five 
personal epistles, five personal epistles. We have writing to Timothy, we have writing to Titus, and then we have writing to Philemon. These are five personal epistles. Then after that, we have a section starting in the book of Hebrews that will go through the book of Revelation that is called the Hebrew Christian church epistles. The Hebrew Christian church epistles. And these are letters that are written primarily with the Hebrew mind in view. So they are written with those that have an Old Testament background, that have a Hebrew background, that would understand the law. And so there are a lot of references to the Old Testament found in these Hebrew Christian church epistles. They would have the book of Hebrews, of course, followed by the book of James. James is very much written to the Hebrew mind of brand new Christians who come from Judaism. Then you would have First and Second Peter, which is, of course, written by the Apostle Peter that is writing to the scattered brethren, and it is helping prepare them for the persecution that's right around the corner with the idea that we need to learn to live like believers now because when persecution hits, it's going to be hard to live like a Christian if you're not in the habit of it. Then after that, it is followed by the three epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. These are also written with the Hebrew Christian in mind. And then that is followed by the book of Jude, which has tons of references to the Old Testament within that one chapter of Jude. Then that is followed by the book of Revelation. Remember, the book of Revelation is part of the Hebrew Christian church epistles. And you have to understand the promises that God made to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament to put the book of Revelation in its proper place in what we call eschatology. You say, well, that's a big dick. Well, I'm a teacher, so we can just put in the context. Where does the Hebrew Christian church, uh, he- book of Hebrews fit? Well, it's in this section and it's written to the Hebrew mind. It's very much written to the Hebrew mind with the idea that one day when persecution hits, when the Antichrist is running roughshod, that when the Hebrew people are once again under great persecution, that they'll find a letter with their name on it. Hey, this is written to the Hebrews. I wonder what it has to say to the Hebrews. And so it goes through and it would explain to these people that all those things in the New Testament was for one purpose, to point you to Jesus to point you to Jesus. And so this is kind of the purpose. This is also why there's a little bit of controversy with this book because Paul didn't sign the letter. He didn't want that to be a distraction. We know the Holy Spirit is the author of it, that Paul was the human penman, but he didn't address it like he did the other epistles because he didn't want that to be a distraction for Hebrew people to be reading this. If, they, if you saw uh, an author that you automatically disagreed with and you knew that he wrote it, you would already look at it critically. So the Hebrew Christian uh, church epistles is written a little bit differently for the purpose of not having any distractions for the Hebrew people to see who God is. And all throughout it, the idea that you find in this book is the word better. The word better is found 13 times in the book of Hebrews. And all of it is referring that Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better. He is the new and living way. And no matter what you find in the Old Testament, 
Jesus is better. We'll walk through that in just a second to show you all the things that Jesus is better than. Another phrase that is used in the book of Hebrews nine times is the phrase once or once for all. Because let me tell you, when Jesus did it, he did it right. He only had to do it once. Once and for all, and it was done. It was finished. It was complete and never needed to be improved on. And so if you don't mind, let's walk through the book of Hebrews. And let's kind of do a quick little outline, a quick little survey of this. So we can know what we're going to be facing in the next couple weeks. The first section, the first part of the outline of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus, the new and better deliverer. Jesus, the new and better deliverer. The new and better deliverer. We start off in the book of Hebrews chapter number one. And in the book of Hebrews chapter number one, the first thing that we see that Jesus is better than is that Jesus, the God-man, is better than the angels. Jesus, the God-man, is better than the angels. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter number one. And let's start at verse one. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. So here it's starting off that God spoke to us in the Old Testament by prophets. He used the prophet of Isaiah, the prophet of Jeremiah. He used all these prophets to speak to him, to write the word of God, to give him uh, these things. But in verse number 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he had made the worlds. So in these modern times, how does God use to speak to the world? Through Jesus. Jesus is the one. Verse number three, who being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels. And then it will go through chapter one and then part of chapter two, explaining that Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Now we know that in our culture, people love angels. Now, the angels in the Bible is different than the cartoon angels. They're not fat little babies with wings and diapers and halos. That's not what they look like in the Bible at all. But our culture loves angels. And they would love to meet by an angel, be touched by an angel. And if an angel came in here and had stepped in this room because of the glory of the holiness they would have, every one of us would be diving for cover if we would see an angel. But as great as an angel may be, Jesus is better. If you would have a choice between listening to a, a message from an angel or listening from Jesus Christ, you'd pick Jesus every time. Jesus is better than the angel. Jesus is better than anything an angel has to offer. As much as they've been used of God and as God has made them higher than men, Jesus is better than even the angels. Jesus is better. As the Bible goes on, not only does it say that Jesus is better, we're talking about Jesus, the new and better deliverer. He's better than the angels. Something else that we see as we come to Hebrews chapter number three, Hebrews chapter number three, we see that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter three and starting at verse one. 
Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all of his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded a house has more glory than the house. For in every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses was verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken for. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And then it will go on. But here it says Jesus is better than Moses. Now remember the audience. The audience is not Gentile people. The audience is Hebrew people. And for the Hebrew people, there is no higher person in all of history than Moses. Moses is the one who spoke to God. Moses is the one who delivered the law. Moses is the one who led the people out of Egypt. They have very much put Moses on a great pedestal. And the Bible takes time to say, as great as you think Moses is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better. And so if you had the choice of listening to Moses recite the law or listening to Jesus, I'd rather have Jesus. Jesus is better. Moses was just a man. Jesus is God. As we go on, we can see that Jesus, the new and better deliverer, that he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Notice as we come to chapter 4, there's something else that we see. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Joshua. Notice with me in chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise of being left of us entering into his rest, of any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we should believe do enter into rest, as he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And it's going to go on. But here it's talking about after Moses died, the people were to be led into the promised land. And of course, the leader to bring him into the promised land would be Joshua. And Joshua, when he brought him into the promised land, was, was a rest of victory, but it wasn't a rest of work. Because they still had to fight. They had giants they had to fight. They had to fight against the Jebusites, the Prezizites, the Hittites, and the other ites that were in there. They had to go fight with them. And then the people still had a lack of faith. And even when it's all said and done, when you get to the end of Joshua, they still had not done everything they were supposed to. They had incomplete victory. But the thing that is better than Joshua is Jesus. And the rest that he leads us into is perfect rest because he finished the work. He fought the fight. It is all finished. Now all we have to do is rest in him. He gives us the full rest that we need. And so whereas Joshua was able to lead them into a promised land, it was an incomplete victory when it was all said and done. 
But Jesus can lead us into the rest that he gave us and purchased with his own blood. And we can rest in him in all things because he has complete victory. And the rest that he has is more complete. In fact, as you go through the book of Hebrews chapter 4, just to go through in your own personal reading and see how many times it mentions the word rest, it's pretty amazing what God's putting an emphasis on. The rest we can have in Jesus Christ. No matter what the battle is, no matter who the foe is, we can rest in Jesus. Well, the Bible's going to go on and explain some other things. And we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. Still dealing with this first part of the outline that Jesus is a new and better deliverer. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. And as we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7, we could see something else that he's better than. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Aaron. Who was Aaron, by the way? Aaron was the first high priest. And he started the Levitical priesthood. And that they worshipped at the temple. They did the sacrifices. They were the keepers of the tabernacle. The keepers of the temple. And they had an important job of overseeing the religious life of the Hebrew people. But as we come to the book of Hebrews chapter 7, we can see that even Jesus is better than Aaron. Notice with me in verse 22. He, uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. So by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by the reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever hath an unchangeable priesthood. We'll pause here. Here it's talking about Jesus. Why is Jesus better than Aaron? Because Aaron died. And he had to be replaced. And there was a new change. Whenever there's a new change, whether there's a new president, or a new king, or a new pastor, things become different. There's a period of adjustment because not everyone does things the same. And you have to learn and you have to adjust and see how things work. But with Jesus, he never dies. There's never a regime change. There's never a period of uncertainty. He can never be voted out. He can never get tired. He'll never retire. He'll never run out of gas. He'll never need a nap. He has an unchangeable priesthood. So because of that, we can always rely on him. Imagine that Jesus Christ promised all of us forgiveness of sins forever because of his blood. But if he could be replaced, who could say that the next one would give you the same offer? We don't have to worry about it. His promises are forever because he's unchangeable. Verse number 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to maketh intercession for them. That means God, Jesus said because he lives forever, he'll take you. And there's never going to be an expiration date. There's never going to be a time where he says, heaven's too full. The rest of you have to live on earth. I'm sorry. Jesus is better and he'll never run out. He could always live and he will always continue to accept people. Verse 26, for such a high priest 
became us. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those high priests do, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have an infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forever. And it will go on. But Jesus is better than Aaron because he doesn't die. He has an unchangeable priesthood. He will always keep his word. Well, as we go through the book of Hebrews, we come to a second section. The first one's talking about that Jesus is a new and better deliverer. But now we come to the second part of Hebrews and we talk about Calvary. Calvary, which is a new and better covenant. Calvary, a new and better covenant. The word covenant is a good word that the Hebrew people enjoy, but it just means an agreement. It's a contract. And the law had an agreement, a contract, but Calvary was much better of a contract. Let's see these things that we have here. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, what we see is that the new covenant has better promises. The new covenant has better promises. Verse number 6. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Let me tell you what the Old Testament law says. The Old Testament law says there is a requirement you have to live up to. Let's just take the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, thou shall not bear false witness. It means don't tell lies. And you know what you owe God if you ever told a lie? For the wages of sin is death. So here is the Old Testament covenant. You obey the law. And if you mess up once. The, what you are promised is death. Sounds like a good promise doesn't it? You know what Calvary says? Calvary says you're a sinner. But Jesus loved you so much he died for you. And if you would just accept him. You would be forgiven of all of your sins. And you will live. Which promise sounds better? The one that says you deserve to die or the other one that says if you choose me, you'll live? Well, of course, Jesus sounds better. It's a better covenant. It's a better promise. I'd rather believe that Jesus can forgive me of all of my sins than be stuck under a system that says I deserve to die. Calvary is better. It has better promises. What else about Calvary? Well, we also see as we come to chapter number 9, it opens up a better sanctuary. It opens up a better sanctuary. And in chapter 9, it goes through and it describes the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is interesting. It's, it's important. How important is it? Well, there are more passages dedicated to the tabernacle and temple than any other subject in the Bible. And wherever God places the emphasis, we need to place this emphasis. God has more chapters dedicated to the tabernacle. So therefore, every believer needs to have a working knowledge of the tabernacle. You say, what's part of it? Well, when you come into the court, the very first thing you run into is the brazen um, altar. Here at the brazen altar, what happens? Is that you give a sacrifice. 
And what you're doing is you're recognizing because my sin, something had to die. Something had to bleed and died because of my sin. After the priest got through with that, they would turn around and they would come to the brazen laver. The brazen laver kind of looked like a big bird bath to me, but it was a place where they had water. And though, even though there was a sacrifice that paid for your sins, you still have to wash your hands. You still get dirty. This is why 1 John 1, 9 of the Bible, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That even though we are forgiven of all of our sins, you still have to take a bath. Then after that, you actually come into the tabernacle. When you first walk into the tabernacle, you have on this side, you have over here the table of showbread. By the way, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Over here, you had a huge uh, thing that was the golden candlestick. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. At the very back, you have the altar of incense, which represented the prayers of the saints going up to, G to God. By the way, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Now on the back wall, it's not a wall, but it's a big veil. It's a thick veil that would be a hand breadth thick, meaning that it was this thick, not this wide, this thick. It was like a big fire curtain. And you would go around the side and you go inside and that would be the Holy of Holies. And inside of the Holy Holies was the Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence of God. And when Jesus Christ died, by the way, that veil was ripped into two to show that we now have access to God. There is no longer a separation or a barrier. And whereas the tabernacle was a good picture, a picture is not the same of seeing someone else. For example, in my wallet, I have a picture of my wife. It is not my wife. It is a picture of my wife. And if I had a choice to spend the night with a picture, or spend the night with my wife, I should probably pick my wife. She is better than just a picture. Does it make sense? The tabernacle is great and worth studying, but it's just a picture. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than just a picture. As it goes on, we see in chapter 9, verses 8 through 28, we could see some more that, Jesus, that the covenant, it is sealed by a better sacrifice. It is sealed by a better sacrifice. It goes on in the rest of chapter 9 to explain that there was the uh, offerings of the blood and the goats, uh, the blood of the goats and the bulls. And guess what? You would have to do it year after year, after year. And by the way, as much as we're distanced from that, you understand that is not a pleasant sight, sound, or smell. To take an animal and to slit its throat, to listen to its scream, to smell the coppery blood, to go through the sight of the blood all over. It was a very bloody mess. And it wasn't enough to forgive you of your sins. It was a picture and you had to do it over and over and over and over. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, that one time was enough. And when he died on the cross, it was enough to pay for every sin for every person in the world. It was a better sacrifice. Jesus Christ was better. Calvary it was a better sacrifice. And then we finish up this section where it talks about in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10, where we started before, is that it achieves far better results. It achieves far better results. And then it goes through again. What were the results? 
Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid for the price of every sin of every person who ever lived and ever would live. It was a better result. It was done once and for all. And it will never run out of power. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on that day was enough to forgive every person. It had far better results. And then as we finish up the third part of the book of Hebrews, again, I'm just giving you a survey. I'm giving you a taste. I'm letting you know what we're looking for. That Jesus is better than all of these things. Calvary is better than all of these things. The third thing is faith is a true and better principle. Faith is a true and better principle. We start off by examining that faith is a true response to these better things. Faith is a true response to these better things. After hearing that Jesus is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Aaron. When you find out that Calvary is better than the sacrifices, better promises, better sanctuary, better sacrifice, far better results. When you hear these things, our response should be a faith. Notice as we start in the book of Hebrews where we read at the very beginning, Hebrews chapter 10. Notice with me in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 18. Now where remission of these are, there is no more offering of sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can enter in by faith to the holy of holies and speak with God and be with God and talk to God. And we could do it by faith, believing these promises. Verse number 20. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for himself through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Meaning that because Jesus died, we now have access to God. Verse number 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a full heart, our true heart, in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here we go. Practical application. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. We can hold on to our promise that this is not imaginary. This is not a crutch. This isn't a dream that makes us feel better. This is true. And I believe it by faith because I count on God. God is true. God keeps his word and I could trust in him. I could depend on him. How? By faith. Notice 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works. This has the idea that we're supposed to stir up. We're to provoke. We're to encourage people to keep going forward to God. Why? Because it's real. I'm not going to hurt someone by pointing them up to Jesus. I'm going to help them. When someone's struggling in their life, point him to Jesus. That's the answer. Out of love, he's the answer. By faith, they need to look at him too. I need to stir up, provoke one another out of love to live by faith. Verse number 25, this is a big one. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You say, what does that mean? Go to church. 
when we go to church, we are assembling ourselves. And may I also be clear, we appreciate everyone who listens online, but you need to be faithful to your own home church and assemble together. If you're watching online, you are not assembling. You need to assemble together. Why? Because of faith. But notice 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Notice as see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ. The day that Christ is coming back. Without a doubt, I may not agree with all of their sentiments, but one thing that we've heard in the last year over and over, Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon. Haven't you heard those things? You know what your response should be if you believe Jesus is coming soon? To show up to church more. That's what the Bible says. That if you truly believe Jesus Christ is coming back at any time, then you need to count yourself faithful and assemble together because faith is the living way and where are you going to get your faith stirred up? By assembling yourselves together. If you are not assembling together, your faith is going to be weakened. Your fear is going to be heightened. Your spiritual strength is going to be sapped. And you're not going to have enough power to power out a moped's, uh, a Nat's moped to go around a Cheerio once. Where do you get your faith encouraged? By assembling ourselves together. This is our response. If these things are true. You need to be more faithful to church. You need to show up every time the doors are open. Faithful to Sunday school. Faithful to Sunday morning. Faithful to Sunday night. Faithful to Wednesday night. If we have a revival meeting. That's there. If the pastor's here open the, uh, washing the windows. You need to be in your pew watching that happen. I mean you need to be faithful in your place. Why? Because of faith. Because of faith. And we could go more of an explanation. And we will when we get to Hebrews chapter 10. This is just the survey. This is what your things you're going to hear. But our response should be out of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11. Which we have been going through in Sunday school. What we find now is living by faith works. That faith is the new and living way. Living by faith works works. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that. As we come to Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1, we see, guess what? As we have faith, we can patiently endure the race that is set before us. Notice with me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, so because of everything you just heard, because of what you heard about Christ, because of what you heard about um, Calvary, because of what you heard about faith being true, wherefore, seeing we are all compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. By the way, that's the definition of faith. What is the definition of faith? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Here we can see that as we live by faith and we're looking unto Jesus, we'll endure, we'll have patience for the race that is set before us. That will continue to go. We won't quit. The word faint carries the idea to quit. You won't be wearied in your minds. You'll keep moving forward because your eyes are on him. That's what faith is. You can get your eyes on a person and you can get discouraged. You can get your eyes upon yourself and you can get really discouraged. It's only when you look at him that you stay encouraged. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep following after him. It is him that you're pursuing after. It is him that we're after because he is real and what he has done for us. And then through the rest of the book, the rest of chapter 12, the chapter 13, all deal with practical living because of faith. And it's going to go through and give you a lot of practical ways. Because we're living by faith. How is it going to show up? How are you going to go up there? All of it deals with looking unto Jesus. Because faith is a much better principle. It's a much better way of living. And so what I've done for now. Is just giving you the principle. That Jesus Christ is better. That Calvary is better. And faith is better. All because of what Jesus Christ did. He provided us a new and living way. And so as we come to you, let me just ask you, how is your view of Jesus? Is Jesus enough? That's a good question. Is he enough? Are you satisfied with what Christ has done for you? What has he done for you? He gave his all for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. If Christ is enough and what he has done for you is sufficient, then you need to live your life by faith looking unto him. And it will show up practically. Are you looking up to Jesus? Again, we've had one of those days, it being your personal life or within our country. And let me tell you, the answer is looking unto Jesus. And if we're looking unto Jesus, our response will be right because we're looking up to him. We're looking up to him. Can you endure? Can you face tomorrow? Because he lives. Can you go ahead and take another step? Because he lives. If Christ is true, then what would keep you from being obedient to being faithful to God's house? If Christ is true, what would keep you from living a life in obedience to him? If Christ is true, what would stop you from looking unto him and obeying him? Christ is enough. So again, are you living by faith? Are you looking unto Jesus or is your eyes on something else? You say, how do I know? By your behavior. Your behavior gives you away. Belief was always reflected in behavior. If you believe that Christ is enough, then you'll act like Christ is enough. If your eyes are on Jesus, then you'll act like your eyes are on Jesus. But if your eyes are on something else, if your eyes are on something, someone else, then it's going to be reflected in your behavior. Are you looking to Jesus? Now I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to be an encouragement. If you're not looking to Jesus. Let me tell you what the answer is. Look to him. Look to him. 
Go to him. Run to him. Say, Lord, take this. Lord, I need help with this. Lord, be with me on this. Lord, I'm trusting in your promises. Come to him. No matter what it is. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.